Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's it been going? We're, we're a pretty solid chunk of the way into the season now. It feels like it's moving pretty quick, and uh, players are kind of dropping like flies recently. <laughs> but but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm so happy that the weather has finally turned. In the Northeast, it was really cold for a while. Just every day was cold and gray, and there were some rainy days. It was just like miserable, you know, and just kind of like brought everybody down. But now it's sunny and warm. We had our first beautiful weekend. The baseball players have taken off their long sleeve shirt, you know, shirts underneath and their feels starting to starting to feel good. So same with my kids as well in their youth baseball. They're having fun. So um, yeah, it's a good time of year. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty lucky uh, a time of year out here as well that the weather has been really nice to us for for a change. Uh, usually you get into calendar switches to May and you're fully into the triple digits uh, every every single day routine out here in Arizona. But it's been very kind to us the last couple of weeks. It's been living in like the, the mid 80s to low 90s. And that's just like I, I, some some people might be listening and think that's way too hot. But <laughs> that's like the sweet spot for me. That's that's nice. You, good. you can go yeah. out and, and not be drenched when you come home usually. Yeah. So. Great, great time out here. Great weather. Uh, great for baseball. Went to an ASU game uh, last Friday. They did not win. They have nothing in terms of pitching. It's it's kind of a rough team, but fun. Always fun to go watch college baseball. Would recommend it to anyone who hasn't done so. Um, but yeah, uh, not not a ton this week in terms of like massive transactions. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a whole lot of injury news to get to. Uh, before we get into any of that, though, we actually have uh, a bit of a site update, um, not in terms of the website itself. I know we mentioned on the last episode the new website on the way. I guess, John, if you have any updates on that, you can drop those as well. But the bigger news is we we updated all of the players in the system to account for the first month and change of play. Now, there is a caveat with that. Um, it wasn't quite a traditional update. It wasn't quite here's how they played. Let's overreact to this tiny sample <laughs> size and, and let everyone run with it. Oh no, Nolan Arnato is worth nothing. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it's, it's not quite that, but I'll, I'll let you get into the minutia of what was updated and wasn't updated and, and what, what the plan is with the updates going forward. Yeah. So, so as in years past, we uh, did a one month update. So the first month of the year, and typically uh, the first month of the year doesn't move the needle all that much because you know, the whole point of our site is to look forward, right? So projections are based on track record, last three years worth of data primarily, with the most recent year weighing heavily. So one month of a new season is not going to move the needle all that much. And you can see that if you look at fan graphs and you look at what, you know, the projection systems there say a player would be, you know, expected to do in, the, in going forward. So in other words, it doesn't change that much from the preseason numbers. Having said that, we are keenly aware that um, some players are off to hot starts, some players are off to cold starts. That will affect their numbers a little bit. And of course, just the erosion of time, you know, in terms of salary, because everything's an equation. So, you know, they've used up one month of salary. So now they only have five more months left of salary. Um, and then you know, there's there's always a consideration for like the what we call the October bonus, which is like if this player is eventually traded, would they be traded 
with the expectation of going to a contender and helping in the playoffs. And so we factor that in as well. So as, as normal. So um, our method was slightly different this time because of some other considerations while we're building the new website and having a more robust model. But we, you know, I felt like, you know, it was um, more or less the right, you know, the right change. Uh, on that other point, we are developing, you know, sort of a more robust, um, let's say, version of our model so that we can make updates, you know, much more quickly going forward. So we're automating more of the data uh, polls and everything else. And so instead of doing a, a big thing every month, um, we can do smaller, more incremental updates more frequently throughout the year. Um, and that will happen when we launch our new site in a couple of weeks. So um, all in all, yes, some hot hot players went up, some cold players went down, but otherwise not too much change. Right. And we've, we've frequently mentioned on this podcast in writing everywhere that the model is not an exact science. There's always going to be some element of subjectivity to it. We've mentioned that this isn't a perfect system that we're discussing here. You know, the trade system within baseball, there's imperfect actors on, on every side of the equation. Um, and with that, that, that especially becomes present when you're talking about small sample sizes like this, and you kind of have to let some subjectivity, some sort of feel into it. You know, it, taking Nolan Arenado, like I mentioned earlier, he's off to a cold start to the year, and maybe there's some things to be slightly concerned about, but I don't think, you know, if in some weird scenario where the Cardinals were going to trade him and some other contender was interested, I don't think they're really discounting him that much based off of this one month of, of play. You know, maybe they're not treating him like the surefire MVP candidate or anything like that. Maybe it's like, okay, the, the decline might be coming in the next couple of years, but, you know, I, I don't think they're taking that too seriously, especially compared to Brent Rooker of the A's, where he has very drastically changed the league's perception of him and his own team's perception of him, even in just this short month. So, you know, comparing what the A's would have accepted in a trade for Brent Rooker a month ago to what they would accept today, that's a, probably a pretty wide gap. And there's probably a wide gap on the other side as well of what teams would be willing to give up for him. So it's, yeah. it's a, I don't want to say case by case because we're not necessarily, you know, going in every single player and say, Hmm, does this guy get an update or no, or anything like that. Um, but there are some, some kind of edge cases, some outliers that um, that first month of data is more meaningful than others. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, most of most of the players are still the same players they have been, but there's occasional exceptions where, oh, this guy figured it out. This guy had a swing change, and you can see there's a massive difference. Now, the big question then is, is it sustainable? And that's the case with Rooker. Uh, Jared Kellenick is another one that's off to a hot start. The, you know, if you look at the entire picture and say, oh, the track record is not good, <laughs> but, you know, Rooker was a former first-round draft choice. Kellenick obviously was as well. Sometimes these guys take a while to figure it out. And so sometimes it just starts to click. And so that is a little bit more meaningful because those guys always had a little bit more pedigree and upside than if a guy just got hot, you know, a kill Badoo a couple of years ago, for example. So, like, you know, and that wasn't sustainable, clearly. So, so you have to kind of, like, you know, wait and see a little bit, but you have to acknowledge that this may be real. And other teams may view them. We're always looking at from the prism of what would another team view them as. And yeah, uh, maybe Rooker does have some value now. So that's why we bumped him up a little bit more. Kellenick got bumped up a, a bit as well because, yeah, because he could maybe sustain this. And so there are a few cases like that. Right. And not to compare Rooker and Kellenick one-to-one or anything. I know they were both former top prospects, but I think, you know, very different caliber of top prospect. 
And I think that's two different kind of scenarios that we should be looking out for where, you know, in, in Kelnick's case, this is just like one of the very best prospects in baseball, still very, very young. And yeah, he has a substantial major league track record of not getting it done, but he's young. You you would expect a guy like him to maybe take a little bit to get going. And uh, it seems like there are changes he's made. There are holes in his swing that he is patched if not fixed entirely and so yeah there's that reason to believe and then rooker on the other side of this you know he's 29 so maybe you know there, there's an argument that rooker is just the next frank schwindel or something along those lines but there's also an argument that hey this is a guy who always hit in the minor leagues but never really got a chance in the big leagues like he he got 200 plate appearances for the twins in 2021 and was okay a uh, little bit little bit below league average with the bat, but that was really his only opportunity. And beyond that, he just kept hitting in AAA, kept hitting in AAA everywhere he went and just didn't really get extended big league time. So maybe you give him a little bit of leeway for those reasons that, hey, this is a guy who always had something like this in him. Maybe not a 214 WRC plus because I don't think any of us think he's going to sustain that all season. Um but, you know, maybe maybe this is just a case of a guy finally getting his opportunity. And so he's there's a little bit more reason to believe him for those reasons. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to sustain a 214 WRC+, obviously. That's ridiculous. So he's going to regress. It's just a question of how much. Is he going to turn into a pumpkin, or is he going to level off a bit such that he becomes an above-average hitter? We don't know yet, which is why his value is, you know, still in the single digits because there's still a big question mark hanging over him. To your point, he's no spring chicken anymore. So, so we have that. But you know, look, the more you perform, the more sustainable you make it seem. I'm speaking to you, Mister Player. The more your value will go up, and so time is is a factor here. Right. Right. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add about either the update or about the well those changes to the site? Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, we are building a new version of VT, VTV. It's a little behind schedule, um, but it's going to be cool. I'm very excited about it. We're putting the finishing touches on both the kind of what, what it looks like on the front end, what the new features are going to be, and also kind of, like I said, you know, making the data faster, the site faster, and uh, there's a lot more things you can play around with once it gets going. So our focus has been on that, and um, so more to come on that um, as we get closer to the launch. Right. Very excited. We will keep you all in the loop. Okay, let's move on to the news from the last couple weeks. Um, very, very big one, very obvious kind of front runner uh, headliner of this of this episode is the Pirates. They they extended Brian Reynolds. They actually did it. You know, another one of these cases of an opening day deadline not actually being a deadline. I feel like we see this so many times every year, but everybody freaks out when a when a player says they need to have a deal done by opening day. Well that's that's about as much of a deadline as if you remember during the lockout they were saying this is the absolute deadline if we can't get a deal today then we're canceling the season or delaying or losing games and then they ended up not losing any games and just kept pushing the deadline back and back and back so feels like a similar sort of thing here with the players sometimes um but yeah pirates pirates got their guy i mean it's it's a great time to be a pittsburgh pirates fan between the extension some of the other moves they've made and just how well they're playing on the field uh, Reynolds gets $100 million in new money on top of his 2023 salary, um, as well as a club option for 2031. He didn't get an opt-out, which was kind of surprising. That was reportedly the sticking point. Um, and we can maybe talk about what led to not getting the buy, uh, excuse me, the opt-out and how much that changes the total 
you know, value of the contract to the player. Uh, but in, in total, like I said, seven years, $100 million, um, and that starts in 2024. It buys out five free agent seasons with an option for the sixth year. And it, it seems a little light, um, according to the model, just, just a bit. And if I have this pulled up correctly, yeah, his, his value before the extension was 64.2. And after the extension, it jumped up to $75.4 million in median trade value. So a bit of a bump there. Basically, the Pirates got about $10 million in surplus out of this deal. Um, granted that we also, as, as we just mentioned, we made the adjustments for, uh, the first month of play. So those numbers aren't quite exact. Um, but, but in that territory, they Reynolds maybe left 10 million or so on the table. It seems like 10 or 15 million, uh, which isn't a ton, especially over the course of a deal this long. Um, but it is notable. So what was your gut reaction, John, to the extension and, how do you think it how do you think it came to be how do you think it is um for reynolds himself how how well did he do you know he did okay um we've definitely seen a pattern of you know to your last point the surplus value um didn't change that much uh, because the team has all the leverage for a situation like this when a player typically has three or four more years of control at least three i would say um, so they're so far away from free agency that they're like, yeah, I could take that money instead of waiting. Keep in mind also, if you take the money now, instead of waiting, you can invest it and make more money com from a compounding point of view earlier than you would if you got it three or four years from now. So so that factors in as well. Um, you know, but I think um, I was a little disappointed in a way because, you know, a lot was made out of Reynolds. Uh, wanting that opt out after year four, I believe it was. And then he essentially said, okay, fine. He didn't get it. He tried and he signed the deal. Now, having said that, you know, $106 million or whatever it is, is nothing to sneeze at. I certainly wouldn't. So I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, you know, he's also, a lot of these extensions you see that are longer are typically, you know, like the Braves have been doing with some of the younger players, Michael Harris and Acuna and those um, when they're in the early 20s. Um, Reynolds is 28, and so this takes him through his age, 35, 36 in that deal. So, you know, in other words, he's, at his, he's in his prime right now, and as he gets into his 30s, he's going to start to decline a bit and be more of a left fielder instead of a center fielder on a more permanent basis. So if you factor all that in, you know, it's not surprising that he would say, okay, I'll take the money now because I'm not sure what I'm going to get when I'm in 30, 31. Um, so, you know, I think it's fine. It's not, you know, a great deal for from either side's point of view, maybe a little bit more towards the Pirates' point of view. Um, but look at the numbers. I think he did fine. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement there. This is a guy whose contract was always going to be limited by his age and some of his defensive questions. Of At one point, he was considered a plus center fielder, and then pretty quickly that went away, and now he's just kind of an like can fake it in center field, maybe probably more of a corner bat and doesn't necessarily have the power that's typically associated with a corner bat, but still is a very productive all-around player, gets on base, has some power, some speed, gets the job done. So it's a very good player to have in town long-term, and it's a guy who can really provide some floor to this team. You know, you look at him and, and Cabrian Hayes, where Hayes is off to a rough start to the year, but he's also locked up, and you figure with his glove and with his contact abilities, he's also a pretty 
high floor player. You'd expect him to be a two to three win player just based on his defense and contact alone. And if he taps into any power, then we're talking talking much bigger than that. But you figure with two guys like that locked in long term, and then some high upside young players and prospects, you know, the O'Neill Cruises and Henry Davis when he gets to the big leagues, and Andy Rodriguez is a big name, and, and all, all of their prospects, all of that great farm system, they can shoot for upside with those guys and really be putting together a long-term contender in the next few years. So it's it's good to get that solid, you know, all-star in a good year, above-average regular in an off-year type player that Reynolds is, and just have that kind of anchor in your lineup. So I, I think... I think from that perspective, from like a team construction perspective in the window that they're looking at, he's a nice fit for them. Um, and I also see, I see A, why he was pushing so hard for the opt-out given his age, and B, why his his salary is maybe lower than someone might expect for a player of his talent just looking at the numbers. And, and that's just because he's much further along the aging curve and already looks like he's trending down the defensive spectrum. And players typically don't, bounce back up the defensive spectrum once they've <laughs> gone down it, it doesn't really work that way so uh, yeah it, it seems it seems pretty fair to me i think i'm with you that maybe he left a little on the table especially not getting the opt-out but it, it seems well within reason i don't i don't think he got fleeced or anything yeah and i just want to underscore your point so it's not lost in that it aligns with the window of all these prospects coming up as you can see the pirates off to a good start this year for the most part probably not sustainable but it's a little inkling of what they might be able to do should should they get competitive more and more as the years go by? And I, I think they will, given all the talent they have coming up to the system. So I'm sure, you know, Reynolds is no dummy and he sees that talent coming and he says, okay, I want to be here for that. We're going to win, maybe starting next year. So it's good for, from that standpoint, you know, the windows are, are lining. And you got to say, I got to say, if I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, uh, you know, for fans of the team, that's great because you're locking in a, a team leader who's going to be there when the young guys come up and, and help lead the team. So that's a lot to be excited about for a small market team like them. And a lot has been made of their, you know, uh, of their owner, not, not, you know, paying players and so on. He paid a player and he's investing in the team. So that's good for them. So it's a good time to be a Pirates fan, I think. Yeah, this is the scenario. Like they're in, they're in honestly a better scenario than a team like the Rangers were, were in when, they signed Corey Seager, you know, kind of jumping the gun on the rebuild. Let's get this established star in place and wait for the kids to come up and build the team around him. Or going back a couple couple years further, the Padres with Machado, same sort of deal. They, they probably had a similar farm system at the time to what the Pirates have now. So they're in that similar kind of spot, but they're they're the Pirates is the difference. And they're owned by Bob Nutting and he has the money to make a splash like that, but he's not going to. Yeah. He's, he's decided that that's not the way he's going to operate as an owner. So this is kind of the next best thing. If, if you know, you're not going to make that splash for the big superstar to anchor the rebuild, well, you know, let's let's take these very good players that we have in-house already and just make sure they stick around. And, and that's going to be the foundation for us. And we'll let the other pieces figure it out from there. Yeah. So, you know, I can see him locking up O'Neill Cruz, you know, kind of following the Braves blueprint of locking up the young talent at undermarket deals because then they can keep him together and he can still sort of be who he is, which is not pay overpaying for players. You'll, you'll underpay for good players. And so I could potentially see more of those types of contracts coming. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's just more so at this point of identifying those guys and getting them to buy in for, for mm -hmm. slightly below market rate, which is what he seems to be going for. Mm -hmm. 
Well, cool. Um, I'm, I'm glad that is sorted. It does take a big chip off of the potential uh, potential trade deadline list for this year and next off season. Um, we can we'll maybe we'll we'll definitely be getting more into that as the deadline gets closer of what names actually look like they're going to be available and we're going to talk about a couple potential sellers uh, later on in this episode. But between that and maybe he wasn't he shouldn't have ever been on that type of list, but the Andres Jimenez extension in the off season and a couple other teams just performing a little bit better than we expected them to. Um, I'm I'm starting, you know, I'm not quite there yet. It's still very early, but I'm starting to get just a little bit worried about the trade deadline and, and what kind of firepower is going to be out there, how how big of a deadline it can even be with the the state of some of these teams that are going to be selling and the lack of <laughs> I know. Nobody's lining up for anybody on the A's right now is what I'm trying to say. No, so yeah, I mean the pitcher is murky right now, obviously, because it's still too early. But like you can't really I was talking to my son about this yesterday. Like, there's not really any obvious sellers. You know, the A's are clearly going nowhere, but they've sold pretty much everything they're going to. Maybe Loriano, you know, but, eh, you know, people are lukewarm in him. So there's, like, if you really sort of pick out the obvious sort of sell candidates, there's not much. So we have to kind of wait and see. I know we're going to talk about a couple teams who may be turning that direction, but, you know, it's obviously all eyes are on the Angels, you know, because if they're not in it, then Otani's on the board, and that's a huge chip. But after that, it's very murky, and so we and we don't even know if the Angels are going to be in contention or not. The deadline, so um, yeah, it's a little early to tell, but I, I'm with you. Yeah, I'd uh, on that note, this is my personal approach. I to to the Angels and the Otani of it all. This deadline, they're going to keep saying they're not trading him, like no matter what. Um. I'm just ignoring every one of those reports. <laughs> not not <laughs> sure. that I not that I think they are trading him, but I think that's just nonsense that they have to say. You know, they get asked it, they're never going to say, hmm, "Yeah, we're actually thinking about it." Like that's never going to come out of their mouths. They 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 can't say that. But words are cheap. They don't mean much, right? And they they can keep saying they're not going to trade him, but if they are 15 games out of it, have no chance and have no chance at extending him, they're they have to at least think about it. Even if, again, they keep saying they're not thinking about it, they have to at least take some offers because what they get could really reshape the organization. And and obviously the optics of it would suck. They'd get slammed for it for everything that's happened, but it can't be much worse than how they've already wasted his career and, and Trout's yeah. prime and all of that. So that's that's my current state on that. I know we're going to just keep seeing these reports that they're not trading him, they're not trading him. They, they, they would never do that, uh, but... Uh, Mike Rizzo also said they weren't trading Juan Soto, and, and look at where we are now. Come on, it's poker, right? You gotta don't show your hand till you have to, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, we have a whole bunch of little nickel and dime type transactions. I'm gonna fly through these. Stop me if you hear anything remotely interesting. Okay. Uh, sure. I'll play this game. I'm going to see, I don't even know where I'm starting, honestly, but uh, let's just start with D-backs get Jose Ruiz from the White Sox for cash. No. Brewers get Bennett Souza from the Reds for cash and no. international space. Ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Giants get Cal Stevenson for the, from the A's for cash, and then they DFA'd mm. Sam Long and then traded Sam Long to the A's for cash. <laughs> they could have just done it one for one. What the heck? They, they couldn't have. They're not allowed to trade with each uh, other. They, <laughs> the, the A's and Giants haven't had a player-for-player player trade in decades. I know. Um, 
the Rays get Javi Guerra back from the Brewers for cash, and then I think they DFA'd him like a day or two later. It's <laughs> yeah. just the constant shuffle out there. Uh, the Brewers got Trevor McGill from the Twins for cash and a player to be named later. Yeah, um, something. That's moderately interesting. He throws hard, but hasn't gotten yeah. it going. No. Uh, the Cubs traded uh, Luis Torrens to the Orioles for cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reds traded Chase Anderson to the Rays for cash. Rays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the... <laughs> Rangers traded Zach Littell to the Red Sox for cash. Mm. Um, I think the only player-player trade was Blue Jays picked up catcher Tyler Heineman from uh, the Pirates in exchange for Vinny Capra, minor league infielder, but we did not even have Capra in the system. I don't think either of these guys matter all that much. No, they don't. Um, One transaction that is worth talking about, I think, and I actually didn't have this pulled up, so I'm going to go ahead and do it right now, uh, but... I know you tweeted about it and we got some reaction on it. Jake Diekman was cut by the White Sox and, and just straight up his DFA'd and then they requested release waivers on him. And that was one of the weirder trades of last uh, right? last yeah. deadline. It was one of our misses, one of our like three or four misses of the deadline. But it's the one I felt definitely the best about. It was like, okay, we're not wrong here. The White Sox right. are wrong. <laughs> they, right. they traded Reese McGuire for him. And McGuire... He is what he is. Maybe he's taken a slight step forward this year. Maybe it's a small sample, whatever. But he's, you know, he's a lefty hitting backup catcher. Okay defense. Not not going to stand out anywhere, but he's at least a solid backup. And, and left-handed hitting catchers are always going to get a good opportunity in the league because there's a natural platoon opportunity there. If you don't have, you know, a, a star right-handed hitter at catcher, then it's a timeshare position anyway. Why don't you just platoon it out? So, uh He's always he's going to have a long future in the league because of that, and he's like a he's an okay player. He's interesting, and I think they even included a prospect in that trade. Yeah, there was a player yeah. to be named later. I think it was just a you know a minor league reliever yeah, broad, type. Broadway, somebody Broadway. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but they traded both of those guys for Jake Diekman and Diekman's entire contract, and it's not like Diekman was getting paid tons and tons of money, but he was he was making considerable money, and we had him pretty comfortably underwater uh three and a half million this year and then a one million dollar buyout for next year right uh, and, and he was he was also guaranteed money down the stretch last year that they've already paid for him mm-hmm. uh it, it it just didn't make sense at the time Diekman wasn't pitching well he's been a very hit or miss guy his whole career but it really looked like he was on the tail end of his career even at the time of that trade he's into his late 30s he can't find the strike zone gets hammered when he does and seemed weird at the time and now they've completely cut bait on him and the red sox are enjoying reese mcguire and i think that broadway guys at least looking okay for them so yeah just looks like a complete miss by the white Sox, kind of how we expected yeah so yeah i was the one who tweeted that because i sort of felt like we were right you know we said basically why are you overpaying for jake diekman he's done Maurice McGuire has some value. It was a bad trade for the White Sox. Our model says, yeah, it's rejected because if the White Sox were acting rationally, and that's what we base it on, you know, you mentioned at the top of the podcast, maybe there's not always rational actors. The White Sox were not rational actors in this particular trade. They were just sort of going out on a limb for maybe getting something out of him. But it was a bad deal. So, you know, uh, so I'm going to just sort of say, yeah, that's probably a W for us in the long run. And certainly a W for Heinbloom for making something out of nothing. So and getting some cash relief and a and a decent backup catcher out of the deal. So uh, yeah. good for them. Yeah, that other player in the trade was right-handed reliever Taylor Broadway. He Taylor is twenty. Broadway. Yeah, he's twenty-six. He's made it to Triple A with Boston. 
Hasn't been great there in a small sample, but he had six very good innings in double A this year. So, or actually last year, uh, since coming over from the trade, he had six innings of a 150 ERA in double A and now is trying to work through triple A. So really in more of an org filler, bottom of the depth chart, bottom of the prospect list type guy, but that's still, you know, that's better than the negative value that Jake Diekman produced for the White Sox. Right. It's almost like the White Sox don't know that you can have pitchers in your bullpen making the league minimum. Like they go out of their way. It feels like to sign all of these middling guys for, or, or trade for in this case, but it seems like they only trust veterans in their bullpen. They they don't let any, and I mean, maybe this is just a larger issue with them of them not having as much success developing younger arms, but yeah, it, it really seems like they always sign these kind of middling guys. They have Alex Colomay up in the big leagues right now, and it's not going well with him. <laughs> yeah, and you know, they, they signed Joe Kelly. Like, At least he's <laughs> been okay if you yeah. squint when he's been on the field, but yeah, they, they just don't, And I mean, obviously the elephant in the room is they've had Liam Hendricks out all season. Thankfully he is cancer-free and making his way back now, but they just don't trust. They don't have any of that raise effect in their bullpen. They don't have the next guy up who comes up and has a 220 ERA. They don't have the waiver claim who's closing games in August. They, they never seem to have that. They're always relying on these like real middle of the pack veterans and it hasn't really worked out for them. And remember, they overpaid for Kimbrel in the previous deadline, and that didn't work out too well either. Remember when the Phillies had this problem, and you know their bullpen was terrible, and they kept reaching for, you know, <laughs> the the you know Juris Familias and Brad Hands, and those guys weren't good for them either. They're just trying everything, and it wasn't sticking, you know. So and now their bullpen's great. Yeah, yeah. Definitely on the upswing, um, but yeah, the White Sox have the same problem. I mean, look, I know if you want to get into the White Sox, we can, but um, yeah, Rick Hahn, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the GM of the White Sox, Rick Hahn, basically admitted, yeah, if it's a bad deals, yeah, my job's on the line, yeah, we're not good, and um, yeah, I'm gonna have to own that, as he should. Yeah, we're absolutely going to get into that later. Uh, but we have a few more injuries to get through okay. first. I, I've mentioned it a couple times on the episode right now. Guys are just getting banged up. I don't know if it's if it's the pitch clock. I don't know if it's just, you know, coincidence. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. But a lot of injuries, a lot of pitching injuries specifically. Uh, a lot of Tommy Johns. Uh, we're going to start with Herman Marquez. I don't think it's fair to call... Herman Marquez like a perennial trade chip or anything like that because I don't think the Rockies were ever going to trade him no matter what Mm. uh, just because they're the Rockies and you know we were talking about imperfect actors irrational (laughs) irrational actors they're at the top of that list Um, but he's at least a guy who theoretically could have been discussed at the trade deadline this year and in future years uh, as long as he's under contract there Uh, but now he goes under the knife and he misses all of this season and probably a good chunk of next year probably shouldn't expect him until the trade deadline or so the all-star break somewhere around there next year and it's unfortunate because he's such a such a talented guy so fun to watch when he's on it seems like he's one of those guys who could actually beat Coors and now he's out yeah it's it's really a killer blow um certainly for the Rockies pitching staff they're not they were never going to trade pitchers because pitchers are near and dear to their hearts because no one wants to come to Colorado and pitch in altitude. So when they get a good one, they're like, nope, we got to keep him. Now, in this particular case, he has um, an option year after this. So they owe him – so under contract for $15.3 million this year, uh, which prorated from here is about 12.7 or so that they still owe him. 
Um, but <clears throat> they would have had to, um, they had the option of retaining him for next year as well, I believe at 16. But he's going to be out most of next year, which means they're probably not going to exercise that option, which means they pay him a $2.5 million buyout. So doing the math, basically, they own $15.2 million for sitting out. And so that's just money they're going to have to eat. But that means he will be a free agent next year, uh, most likely, and on the market before he's fully recovered from Tommy John. At least in his case, maybe he can get you know off of the Rockies. Uh, but look, he made some money. He signed a decent deal uh, a few years ago. He'll be 29 next year at the tail. He'll come back at the tail end of the year. So really, it's going to be sort of a probably a pillow deal kind of thing, and then he'll be age 30 and hopefully make some something out of that out of that with a, a, another team, presuming he's healthy. So in other words, the Rockies it's sunk cost at this point. It's kind of sad, but there you have it. Yeah, he's going to be a hot name this offseason. Like, we've, I've mentioned a few times in the past few episodes how weak the free agent class looks, but he's a guy who you could, like, really get excited about, I feel like, on one of those two-year, you know, they rehab the first year, yeah. second year is, is a higher-value deal, yeah. you know, the, the Nady Evaldi-type deal, or yeah. kind of the James Paxton, although that hasn't worked out for the Red Sox. There's a few other names who have taken that as well of – Hey, we'll pay you to recover this first year. We're only going to pay you a few million dollars, but you'll be on a on a roster. Yeah. We'll help you with your rehab, and then next year you're going to be at full strength, and we're going to reap the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. You can picture him joining the Rays or the Dodgers or somebody like that on a deal like that, the Astros mm -hmm. even, and just being dominant when he comes back. Obviously, there's plenty of room for for issues in that. You know, his rehab doesn't go 100%. Whatever we like, I said we just saw it not go particularly well with James Paxton. But, man, he seems like the prime candidate for a deal like that and one of those smart teams to pick him up and, like, really benefit from it. Yeah, he's always had the good stuff. And, you know, he's not going to be that old when he when he really gets back to full strength in the 30s. So he's got a few good years left, presuming all goes well with the surgery and everything. So, yeah. And not to kick the Rockies while they're down or anything, because which is kind of hard to do because, you know, we have to talk critically about the Rockies, but they're always down, so... It always feels like kicking them all while they're down. But you mentioned, you know, they, they don't want to trade these guys because they can't get pitchers to come to Coors. You know, it's hard enough for them to sign guys and, and convince them to come pitch there. So they have to, like, hold clutch tightly onto the pitchers that they do have. Well, the other way they can acquire young pitching that, that could be good for them is via trade. But they just don't want to trade anyone. Like, I, I get it if you're hanging on tight to Marquez and Jean Gray and Kyle Freeland and Sensatella and whoever, these guys that you like that you think can succeed at Coors, but they've had hitters over the last few years that they should have traded and maybe gotten a young arm for. Because guess what? When you, when you trade for a young arm, they have to come pitch at Coors. They can't just say, no, I don't want to go there. So they're, they're constantly going to be fighting the ballpark that's part of their existence. And it's part of what they're just stuck with of, of being in that ballpark, being at that elevation. But they aren't doing themselves any favors in that battle. They're they're constantly making it harder for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next team or next injury is Robbie Ray with the Mariners. This was kind of a twofer. <laughs> um, we, we found out he'd require season-ending flexor tendon surgery. Uh, and then when they announced the surgery, they went, oh, by the way, we also reconstructed his UCL, Tommy John surgery. Uh, so he's going to be out probably the same time frame, it seems like, if not 
maybe even just a hair longer since he's coming back from two and maybe they'll be slower with the buildup. Um, and I mean, this is a, this is a Mariners rotation that has a little bit of depth and is, is just a strong rotation in general. Uh, so maybe they could afford this loss more than another team. And, and he wasn't the Robbie Ray they expected him to be when they signed him. He wasn't all that great for them last year after the 2021 Cy Young season. Uh, but it is still a tough blow. It is really hard to see that contract being a win for them at the end of the day after this news where he had a, a rough 2022 and now he's going to miss all of 2023, a chunk of 2024, and then he's only got a couple years on the back end of that deal to try and salvage it. Um, but yeah, unfortunate news. And I think a lot of people will say they could they could have seen this coming. You know, maybe not the injury specifically, but just the direction that this this uh, that his career has gone since joining Seattle. I think there were some some clear signs that he wasn't quite at that level that he performed at in 2021. You know, he wasn't a guy who was just suddenly a frontline starter. That was kind of a blip. Uh, but I, I think he there's also an argument that you know they didn't pay him for that they paid him to be a solid number two that was kind of the contract they gave him and he very well should have been able to reach that if not for a couple blips last year and then this injury so unfortunate yeah. news obviously none of these none of these injury updates we're giving are going to be fortunate news really <laughs> but it's it really just makes that contract look even worse but at least on the field the mariners seem like they can weather this loss yeah our our model never liked that deal we had him underwater from the start of that deal and now it's even more so and not to say hey we were right again because that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying they i do think they overpaid for him um it's unfortunate that he did get injured but he wasn't pitching that well before he had a very inconsistent track record um like i said that one great year was probably a blip um so yeah now they still owe him 88 million dollars and they've gotten pretty much nothing for him and probably won't for a while so not so good um you know and so I don't think their depth is what is 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 all that great, actually. I mean, Luis Castillo is an ace. Um, you got the two young guys, Logan Gilbert and George Kirby, who are fine. Um, Marco Gonzalez love is is, is is had been injured, and he's not really the same as when he was younger. And he's you know soft tosser, low margin for error, had a bad year last year. So that's like he's an iffy fourth guy. They just brought up Bryce Miller. Who throws hard, but he's very young. Chris Flexen wasn't all that good, so they moved him to the bullpen. So, like, it's not that like if you were in the playoffs and they they hope to be in the playoffs, you got Castillo, and then what do you throw it? Gilbert and Kirby, maybe. So it's like it's not like that. There's that much like depth you can count on there. I think more so what I'm seeing is they have a solid top three in place there. I, I really do like Kirby and Gilbert. And mm -hmm. I think the two of them plus Castillo is, is that solid top three. I think you want a strong four <laughs> if you're, if you're going deep into the playoffs. And I think that's what you're seeing is that they're, they don't have that clear number four. That would have mm -hmm. been right if he were healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, maybe Bryce Miller steps into that. That's a lot to expect for a kid. And he's only had, I don't know if he's made a second start, but I, he had a great first start and you can't expect him to just keep that going the whole year. He, it's not like he was a can't miss prospect or anything. And the only other guy they really have on the farm is Emerson Hancock. And he's had a really up and down career. He was a top, top prospect, but his uh, he, he's gone up and down the list. Let's, let's just put it that way. Um, 
but at least they do have innings covered you know with, with Gonzalez and Flexen those are two guys who probably I don't I don't have the projections pulled up right now but they probably project for about replacement level if not a little bit better and you can at least count on them to eat some innings and you know that that team has other needs <laughs> that that there I don't think they if they get to the deadline as constructed and in the race I don't think that fourth or fifth starter is going to be their priority I think they really have some needs on offense at least it looks that way right now that they probably prioritize. And so I think I think at least from from a frontline perspective with the strong 3 that they have, they're in a good spot without Ray, but uh I agree. They're missing that 4 and the options for the 5th don't don't exactly excite you. Yeah, and just a note on Emerson Hancock. He's now 24. He's repeating double A. He has a 6.11 ERA. Um walking too many guys. His advanced numbers look a little bit better. They're in the fours, but it's not like he's killing it in double A as a 24-year-old. And he's been hurt a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> not a lot to count on there either. Yeah. And I guarantee there's an arm I'm missing here. The The Mariners seem to have a lot of these, like, pop-up prospects Brian that kind of come out of nowhere. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guarantee there's there's a Cardinal or Cardinals, a Mariners fan who's – listening right now yeah. and and yelling at me for missing him and, and probably a couple <laughs> others uh, i know they have i know they have some fun pop-up offensive prospects uh lazaro montez name to watch younger guy um mm-hmm. gabriel gonzalez i think i think he's mm-hmm. hitting really well um but yeah that i i think they'll be in okay shape for now but i think this is this is maybe similar to the rays that we talked about last week where or last episode where they're one more injury for, away from being in like real trouble. Like if, yeah. if Kirby or Gilbert had to miss a couple months, like things are rough then. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, I guess you could say that about most big league teams, right? Even even the best big league teams, if you say, hey, two of your top four starters are going to be out for a significant time, I, I think they would be in trouble. Unless you're literally the Dodgers where <laughs> they just grow pitching on trees. But hey, let's give credit to Jerry Depoto for making that Luis Castillo trade because it's looking really good now. Yeah, that's your anchor right there, and they extended him to boot. So absolutely, and yeah. especially trading Marte while his, you know, it looked like his arrow was mm-hmm. kind of starting to trend down. It seemed like they got good value for him mm-hmm. specifically, even though the model had that trade as a an overpay when it happened. Mm-hmm. I think uh, given what we know now the model might have been a little bit slow to react to questions about Marte specifically mm-hmm. with his position you know he was mm-hmm. still he was still treated as a shortstop by a lot of our prospects mm-hmm. uh, sources at that time and then shortly after that trade it's like nah this guy's like third base only if, mm-hmm. if that so that's mm-hmm. a pretty significant uh, adjustment to his value that our model just had no way of knowing about so mm-hmm. yeah all right um speaking of well, I guess speaking of Tommy John's and speaking of a guy involved in a pretty big trade recently, uh, Lou Trevino, Tommy John surgery as well. And wow, the Yankees are never going to trade with the A's again. <sighs> um, so, so the first one, if we rolled the, rolled the dial back to 2016, I think it was. Um, they picked up Sonny Gray from the A's and he was okay for them that season and an absolute disaster the next season. Um, on, on the bright side for the Yankees on that one, none of the guys they traded did anything for the A's, really. It was James mm-hmm. Caprellian, who's still there, but just mm-hmm. got option to AAA because he's been terrible this year. Jorge Mateo, who they shipped off pretty quickly, and now he's playing very well for the Baltimore Orioles. And then uh, Dustin Fowler, who never yeah. actually made it back from that ACL injury in mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, so that trade obviously didn't go well for the Yankees, but didn't exactly bite them either. 
And we're going to have to see how this one goes because the book is already pretty much closed on the Yankees side of this trade. Um, if you'll remember, it was from last deadline. It was three arms, uh, J.P. Sears, Luis Medina, and Ken Waldachuk, as long as infield prospect Cooper Bowman. Uh, those guys went to Oakland, and in exchange, Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino went to the Yankees. Uh, Montas struggled through this, down the stretch last year. He was continuing to battle shoulder issues and apparently continued to battle them through the offseason and had shoulder surgery shortly before opening day. And he's going to be out a while. They might get him back toward the end of this season. And that's that's a big maybe. Um, and that this is his final year of team control. And then Trevino, on the other hand, I think he might have another uh, another year or two of control. So maybe maybe the book isn't totally closed on him. But now when they're going Tommy John, it keeps him out for all of this year and at least half of next year, if not longer. So they're not getting anything from that trade during this this current stretch, this, this current couple years. And that's unfortunate for them. Ken Waldachuk isn't doing amazing in Oakland and Luis Medina still can't throw strikes and Sears maybe just looks like a swing man and Bowman looks like a fringe guy. So yeah. this could very well go the same <laughs> route as the Sunny Gray trade of like, well, neither team won. It yeah. just was a bust on both ends. But I'll at least say that the Yankees would probably love to have J.P. Sears in their system right now, and they don't. So <laughs> yeah. from that perspective and from, you know, the, uh, I guess... Uh, Man, what's a, there's an economic term here for like uh, they could have spent that money elsewhere type thing. Um, I'm, I'm blanking. It's like a like a basic economic term, but mm -hmm. they they could have spent those prospects to get maybe not well not necessarily a Luis Castillo type, but and I don't think they would have been happy if they traded for Tyler Maley either because he's having similar shoulder issues. Um, but they they could have spent that those that prospect capital to upgrade other areas of the team that would still be helping them this year. And unfortunately they didn't. So um, that that's really where it burns them the most. And, and it sucks on their end for Trevino. It's, it's rough as well. It seemed like he was pitching fairly well with the Yankees after getting over there. Um, he really struggled with the A's in the first half of the season, but really found it down the stretch with the Yankees. And he is kind of a, a volatile guy who sometimes he just loses his command, loses his stuff and just gets hammered. But yeah, unfortunate for him, obviously, and unfortunate for the Yankees, uh, who they are they are really having their depth tested early this season. Yeah, I mean, they got three guys in their rotation, Clark Schmidt and Johnny Brito and Domingo Herman, who they probably didn't want in the top of the rotation in any in the rotation at all at the beginning of the year. They've got so many injuries to deal with, you know, and it's, you know, affecting their bullpen, too, because that, you know, has a knock-on effect. But Rodon's been out all year, Montas is out, Severino's been hurt. It's not good. Loisega, from the pen standpoint, has been out and will be for a while. So, like, yeah, Efros, yeah, you name it. And, you know, it's not like the lineup is all that healthy either. And they're dealing with, you know, multiple injuries there. Willie Calhoun and Jake Bowers are in the lineup every day. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is <laughs> Aaron out. Judge and is out. their corner outfield situation is a disaster because of it. Oswaldo Cabrera and Hicks and, and uh, yeah. IKF are not getting it done. No. So they're in last place. The Yankees are in last place. Guys, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'll stick like that, but I'm also not, if I were a betting man, I, I wouldn't be putting any money on them pushing back to first or anything like that. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, we're not saying they're going to be sellers at the deadline yet, but it could be one of those years. Remember that year? Was it 2016 when they sold Chapman and a company made a few other trades and re retooled? 
could be a retooling. This continues. Yeah, and that would be very unfortunate for <laughs> given <laughs> given the timing of some of their moves. You know, they they made the big splash, kept Judge, brought in Rodon, and I think people had higher expectations for this year. Yeah. Book is far from closed. Anthony Volpe's been pretty okay for them at the big league level, and there's there's things to be optimistic about, but they need to get healthy fast. Clever Torres. Hello. Could be a trade candidate. <laughs> this is funny. It's funny because yeah, a lot of you know, a lot of people were counting him as a trade candidate this past off season in, you know, like a buying type trade, you know, include yeah. him in a Pablo Lopez deal or something along those lines. And we could be looking at it, you know, we, I saw a lot of Yankees fans the first few weeks of the season feeling vindicated that the team held on to him. Like, yes, I can't believe people were saying we should trade this guy. Look at how great he is. He's carrying the offense. Uh, but if things continue this way, maybe he's traded in a different kind of trade for some prospects. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and it would and... be somewhat poetic. You know, you mentioned the Chapman trade the last time they had kind of a down year like they're trending right now. Well, who'd they get for him? They got Glaber. It would be yeah, it'd be kind of right. poetic if he got shipped out of town in a similar similar type season, and they get another guy who can contribute to the next contending team. Yeah, and to be fair, he's leveled out. He had a little bit of a hot start, but he's only at uh, 109 WRC plus. He's been 237, 0.4 F4. Yeah, so he's kind of like regressed to kind of what he is. So with you know kind of bad defense, so he's not going to get a ton, you know. But you know, it could be a candidate anyway. Right, and. We've said it a couple of times, but just to be absolutely clear, uh, we're just we're, we're we're speculating a little bit, talking a little bit in jest. Uh, we're not labeling the Yankees sellers quite yet. I, I think we're going to give them a little more time. To no, no, no. Out. We're having some fun, Yankees fans. Yeah, that's all. Right at your expense. Usually, <laughs> you guys get to have fun at other fan bases' expenses. Let us have this one. All right. Uh, next, Tommy John. <laughs> we're almost done. I swear. Next, Tommy John, the Astros, Luis Garcia. This one sucks. I, I know these are all these are all terrible. These are all bummers. But it looked like Garcia was really coming into his own. He was finally, you know, with the World Series run, he really got known on a global, not global necessarily, but on a, on a national scale. And yeah, I guess in the World Baseball Classic, he pitched there as well. So yeah, yeah. sure, I'll call it a global scale. Um, people were really starting to realize this guy's great. And then it's been a rough year for him. First, first the league told him he couldn't do the rock, the baby. He, he couldn't have that <laughs> delivery anymore because of the pitch clock and, and all of that. Um, and, and by all accounts, he was fine with that. And he just went to a very simple, very standard delivery and didn't seem like he was having any issues with it. Um, I haven't yet seen any takes on the internet, on Twitter that that led to this Tommy John. If there are, if those takes do exist, they're, they're the worst and they're, blatantly wrong i'm sure but um yeah he, he undergoes tommy john at least it's you know this isn't a case like marquez where it's gonna potentially impact him financially in the very near future you know he's he's gonna miss out on that sizable option that he had um garcia is much earlier in his career and so he's got some time to come back from this and still make his money but it does it, it is taken out a good chunk of his prime because he's 26 right now um, he, correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't get extended this offseason, right? That was just Urquidy? Um, or, or Hob that was Javier. Javier. God, Javier. I, yeah. these guys, <laughs> I they're, they're very different pitchers when you watch them, but when you just think about Astros, young starters who came out of nowhere, they all kind of go into the same <laughs> bucket for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and on the Astros side of things, they don't necessarily have a lot of depth to deal with this. Hunter no. Brown has been very good for them, but you can 
you can look at that rotation and you can tell they're they're missing Justin Verlander or or someone else of that frontline ilk, and they didn't really add a guy like that this off season. So no, they, they called up JP France. Yeah, Brandon Bivac. Yeah, it, and I mean, they're still the team to beat. You know, it's going to take more than a couple injuries and maybe a slightly weaker roster for us to be out on them or or picking anybody as the favorite over them and all of the other teams in the AL West right now have their own issues. Let's I'm I'm not, there's not like a next man up type situation where, you know, the Mets falter a little bit and bam, the Braves are are a powerhouse and they can step up and and win that division with ease. Um, That situation isn't happening in the West, but there are three fairly competitive teams in the angels, Rangers and Mariners. And all it takes is one of them getting on a hot streak while the Astros are banged up and they could put a gap in there um in the division and and i don't want to say run away with it but they could get themselves a good head start yeah when you look at that astros rotation oh man so you got Framber valdez who's consistently one of the most underrated pitchers in the league and in my view perennial you know Cy young candidate christian javier who broke out in a huge way last year and dominant in the playoffs you got a solid one too there, but then after that, you know, Hunter Brown, you hope continues, but he's a rookie. Kind of a similar point that we're talking about with Mariners with Kirby and Gilbert there. Rick, sometimes rookies are shaky, um, so they need some time to kind of, you know, get some seasoning. But he's so far so good. <clears throat> but then after that, you're you're, it's ouch, you know. And you can speculate on okay, what's on the farm? What's on the farm is Forrest Whitley, who used to be a top prospect, has had a lot of problems. He's not going to be an answer. He's got a 6 ERA in AAA, 724 FIP, 583 XFIP. He's not cutting it. And, you know, I could see them. Now, here's the problem. There's a lot of – is we're talking about the trade market starting to develop. There's a lot of teams who need starting pitching. So many rotation – that's the point of this, this segment, right? The point of this segment is all these pitchers went down. Most of them are starters. Oh, my God, these teams need starters. Who can they turn to? I don't know. <laughs> Who's on the market? I don't know. There isn't much to turn to. So they're digging into their their triple A guys and they've kind of exhausted those options too. And there's like, you know, um guys bouncing around. Chase Anderson, that's why he was that's why the Rays said give give, give us Chase Anderson, even though he's a thirty five year old journeyman. Because there's nothing else to get. There's nobody to get. So it's tough right now. Yeah, definitely. And now, you know, Garcia's out for a while. He's not coming back this year. Uh, they also have McCullers on the injured list with an elbow issue. I don't know what his timeline is, but he has not been healthy for years now, and elbow is never good, as we know. Uh, and then Jose Urquidy's on the injured list with shoulder discomfort. That's really not good either, even if it is just like, a, oh, hey, he'll be back next week type thing. Shoulders come back. Shoulders don't go away. We we saw that with Frankie Montas and with Tyler mm-hmm. Maley. Like, and granted that's a sample size of two and there's probably plenty of guys who you know hey they just needed a rest for their shoulder and then they were back at it but that is it's reason for a significant alarm i feel like and Mm -hmm. their offense is great and it seems like they just plug and play you know Corey jilks is their dh i haven't i haven't looked into him much but I'm, I'm pulling his page up right now and i'm gonna bet he has okay 80 wrc plus maybe not exactly what i expected um but guys like him you know david hensley yaner uh, diaz looks really good they got him in i think that was the miles straw trade from cleveland mm-hmm. 
he looks pretty good at, at catcher and he'll probably get some at bats elsewhere as well but they're they're fine on offense they've got the stars in place and then they plug and play really well at, at every other spot in the lineup but yeah there's just not much rotation depth it's really being tested and i don't know I, this isn't the the same astros team that we're used to right I, yeah it's not yeah, the same astros team and it's not the same astros organization i don't yeah, trust right. i the the front office with the new folks in place and with jim crane being a little bit more meddlesome i don't think they've earned the leeway yet of you know what we were willing to give click and what we were willing to give, give luno and what we continue to give the rays of like yes it looks bad but they'll figure it out there's there's a guy we don't know about and they're going to tick up his spin rate 300 rpm and he's going to be a solid back end guy like they don't have that benefit of the doubt quite yet this current regime in houston so yeah. I think they're it's it's reasonable that we're kind of sounding the alarm on these guys. And you know, they overpaid for Jose Abreu. Now, we thought it was an overpay at first, but we didn't think it was going to be this bad. He's one of the worst hitters in the major leagues right now. He's got negative 0.8 F4, 47 WRC plus. He's hitting 223, 273, 254 over 139 plate appearances. So it's started to become a bigger and bigger sample size and it's bad. So, and he's 36 years old. So, he could be, you know, this could be father time saying, hey, you're done. Now, he had 3.9 F4 last year. Excellent year. You know, above average hitter. But so far, you know, I don't know how you bounce back from that. And really, like, by the end of the year, Steamer projects him for another point, 1.5. So, if you add that up, he's replacement level. And they overpaid for him. So, there's a problem, too. It's funny. Yuli Gurriel has a 103 WRC plus, and they could have had him basically for ah, free. Yeah. Huh. All right. That's the Astros. Um, one significant injury on the farm. The Guardians' top prospect, Daniel Espino, underwent shoulder surgery, which is a big bummer. This guy looked as dominant as they get coming through the minors. It looked like it was he was absolutely going to make his debut this season, and given the way the Guardians operate, he was going to hit the ground running and just be a stud. Um, but turns out pitching is bad for you. And especially when you throw <laughs> triple digits regularly, like that isn't good for the human body. Apparently. Um, I, I think the guardians will be fine because they're just doing what they do. Tanner Bibby, Logan Allen, the, the, the new Logan Allen and Peyton Battenfield, they all look pretty good for them <laughs> because of course they do because it's the guardians. Mm -hmm. um so as far as their major league team this year they're not going to miss him too much but it is a bummer he was he was one of those guys i was really excited to see this year him and yuri perez with the marlins and i think we still have a good chance with perez if he stays healthy but yeah uh, it just definitely pushes down his prospect stock pretty considerably i think on fan graphs they bumped him down from i want to say like top 20 ish to like in that 80 to 90 range of their top 100 i, can, I can work on yeah i got i got it up now 96 yeah yeah you still have as a 50 because yeah. you're sort of you're balancing the pros and the cons there you know mm -hmm. he can be lights out if he's healthy but is he going to stay healthy is the big question yeah the risk meter just goes way high yeah um so yeah it's i don't think there's much as much to say about this one because it is the guardians and because they do just have endless pitching out of nowhere they get that credit that the Astros don't right now. <laughs> um, 
So I don't think there's as much to say about this one from, you know, whether this impacts things on the trade end of things, but it's it's a bummer. I think I've said that four or five times now about talking about all these injuries, but this one this one yeah. is particularly unfortunate. You know, if it, it is, and I feel bad for the kid, but, you know, from the Guardian's perspective, at least it's the Guardian's, and they always have a pitching factory and so many other guys, to your point, you know, coming up through the system, and they've got Gavin Williams, who's now their top pitching prospect, you mentioned Vivi, you mentioned Logan Allen, Logan T. Allen. So they'll be okay, you know. They've got enough, and they've got enough uh, uh, in their organizational sort of DNA to maximize the value of some of these other guys who are less heralded. So they will be fine, at, you know. But, you know, from a trade value point of view, Espino, Espino stock keeps falling, and we keep downgrading them as well because the more injured you get, the less likely you're going to make it. And for some reason, I'm thinking about Nate Pearson, former top prospect of the, of the Blue Jays, and even after they moved him to the pen, he's still not quite, you know, he's never been healthy. You know, they're just guys like that. Sometimes it's just they're star-crossed. So um, hopefully Espino makes it eventually, but it's not looking good right now. I think there is an interesting takeaway here from, you know, our perspective from a prospect evaluation stand, standpoint as well as just a trade value standpoint of, like, we all we've all known there's no such thing as a pitching prospect you know that whole like mm-hmm. the whole adage and just how careful you have to be getting too excited about pitchers you know making centering a rebuild around pitching prospects making big trades for pitching prospects things like that um but it's really just a sharp reminder of that because you know what i'm thinking of right now is royce lewis where royce lewis this is a guy who's had his ups and downs through the minor leagues and this is a guy who's who his game for a while, and you could even say currently, is pretty dependent on speed. And that that was one of his big carrying tools that was why people were so excited about him. And he's now undergone two ACL surgeries, I believe on the same same leg. But he's still considered a top 100 prospect, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's still on Fangraph's list. I'm pulling it up right now. Maybe you already have it up. But that's you you would not say the same about a pitching prospect and and lewis was never the caliber of prospect you know that espino was espino was viewed as a future ace lewis was viewed as a future like solid shortstop maybe an all-star but not like not we're not talking top five prospect or anything like that um but that's the difference where if if you're a pitcher and you have you know kind of the equivalent there of you know two shoulder surgeries or two tommy john surgeries everybody's out on you like your stock is just gone but lewis has had two acl <laughs> two acl surgeries and he's still Fangraph's number 56 prospect that's just such a stark difference and it's not just because of oh they just evaluate them differently but it's like no there's there's genuinely more reason to be excited about lewis's career going forward after a second acl injury than there would be if espino hurt himself significantly again after this injury at that point you're right he'd just be in nate pearson territory and a lot of teams would just be out on him yeah um for some reason i'm also thinking about the tigers you mentioned like don't rebuild counting on rotation you think about mize manning and scooble and they've all had their injury lumps, and you know that that was going to be their big three, and it hasn't panned out at all. And or you remember the uh, 
the Mets a few years ago with Harvey and Syndergaard and Mets, and they were supposed to, it's like five of them, and that didn't pan out either. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, and I'm even thinking of the Braves, where they really centered their rebuild around pitching, mm-hmm. and then just kind of accidentally, I'm not going to say accidentally, that, that I feel like that takes a lot of credit away from scouting and development folks there, but it ended up being an offensive rebuild, right? We talk about all of the guys, all of their homegrown players who they've worked through the system, they beat expectations, and then they locked them up and kept them there long-term. You know, the Albies, Acuna, mm-hmm. uh, Harris, Riley. I'm sure there, there's a handful of others I'm missing. But that has really been their core when when they rebuilt. It was like, look at all these pitchers they're getting. You know, the Sean Newcombs and... <laughs> um, God, uh, even Kyle Muller, there's been a handful of other guys that I'm I'm blanking on right now, but really the only guy to hit from that group was, uh, was uh, Max Fried. And Kyle Wright, Kyle Wright's still a, yeah, yeah, he's still a question mark. He's injured right now. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't think we're closing the book on him necessarily, but he was a really, really big name who hasn't just being blunt, hasn't performed like the big name that he was. And it was really Mm -hmm. just Fried who was, I don't want to say a throw-in, but he was a secondary piece of a trade with the Padres, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. That that might have been the Upton deal or the Kimbrel or I don't know. That, a lot of trades. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. trades around that time. Um, <laughs> but he's the one who's clicked. And then look at who else who's clicked. Spencer Strider, a guy mm-hmm. nobody really thought much of. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was a reliever. And then all of a sudden, he's an elite starter. So it there's there's lessons to take away from this. Obviously, it's not going to apply universally you know clayton kershaw was a top prospect justin verlander was a top prospect there's a reason for that and and they clicked and they're hall of famers and a guy like that a guy like a sandy alcantara a guy like a zach gallon right now who is a young elite prospect who is healthy knock on wood those guys are worth their weight in gold because Mm -hmm. it's so hard to come across those guys even if you get in this you know there's no guarantee that you're going to turn him into sandy alcantara yeah, I had a little debate in the comments section with one of our users, Benjo, who's a Cubs fan, and he was talking about, you know, he, he thought we were a little undervalued on um, Justin Steele, who's become a good starter for the Cubs, and comparing him to our very high value of um, Shane McClanahan of the Rays. And the point is, McClanahan has always had, you know, elite prospect status, pedigree, former first-round draft choice. And, you know, and, you know, he's delivered on that and he's stayed reasonably healthy and he throws 97 on average, whereas a guy like Justin Steele's fifth rounder throws 92, kind of smoke and mirrors guy, like they're not the same pitchers, right? Um, So um, my point is, like, you know, when you get a McClanahan who can stay reasonably healthy and pitch lights out and has all the things going for him, that's his value is so high he's untradeable. That was the point that I was making. Like, there's just, you know, any team would would bend over backwards for that, you know. But, you know, those guys get – there's a certain caliber of, of player with all this team control, and he's already made a leap status that you just – you know, his value is so high, he's untradeable. So that was my point. And obviously those guys – we're not saying that those guys stay that way forever because there's obviously the contract considerations of things. And sometimes guys just get hurt later in their careers or become worse later in their careers. You know, there was a point where Shane Bieber would be explained that same way. And I think, you know, he's still, he's still a very good pitcher and he's still very valuable and would get the guardians a lot in a trade. But 
I at least personally view him a bit as a falling knife with, yeah. you know, the way his velo has trended. My goodness, he has 5.91 Ks per nine this year. That's not good. 485 XERA. Yikes. Uh, yeah, he's kind of on the Kluber path, right? Yeah. When Kluber started to fall off. It was similar. Yeah. Yeah, and he's only 28. It's not even like he's old or anything. It's just he, he's had a couple injuries and he's been making it work, but can't keep making it work forever. Um, yeah. And then Corbin Burns comes to mind in the same same vein. Maybe not. I don't think his stock has fallen as much as Bieber's, and, and I think Corbin Burns is still really, really good, but he two years ago might have been in that McClanahan territory, but now that he's closer to free agency and looking a little bit more human, a little bit more mortal, I think he does come into this conversation of maybe he is tradable. Yeah. And on the flip side, now you can see why the Yankees overpaid for, well, paid so much for a long-term contract with Garrett Cole, because he manages to stay elite, manages to stay healthy. Dude's a workhorse, gets it done. He's an ace, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's worth a lot of money. And they paid, market value for that so good for them right even you know there's there's like a weird goal has cole has a weird reputation and a weird like lack of respect honestly like he doesn't get acknowledged as being like a top five pitcher as much as he probably should Mm -hmm. given that he has that kind of sixth tool you know he has durability Mm -hmm. and obviously that could go at any time you know tomorrow he could slip and fall and never be the same but to this point he's proven that he can do something that jacob Degrom has not been able to do Mm -hmm. or that even even clayton kershaw as excellent as he's been for his whole career and and through this like latter portion of his career he has his own health issues as well and and everybody else in that like top five top ten discussion has that kind of question mark so even if their era might be a quarter of a run or half a run lower than Cole's. Like there's a big difference there in being available in being reliable. And that's why Cole got those big bucks and it's working out really well for the Yankees. Yep. All right. That was a, an unexpected tangent about, (laughs) but it goes (laughs) to your point about, Oh, pitchers are getting injured. Okay. That means the healthy good ones are even more valuable because it's a supply and demand issue here. That's all it is. Right. And I'm going to, that, that's actually the last pitcher injury we have to discuss. Uh, I'm going to give my very brief two cents of like pure speculation. Don't have any sort of data or research to back this up or anything. So a lot of people are concerned that the pitch clock is contributing to injuries. My hope and, and belief is that this is like a blip that we see where, yeah, these might be related to the pitch clock in some way of, you know, guys don't have as much time to recover between pitches. So it's taxing their arm further. And that was one of the concerns that was brought up when the pitch clock was being discussed before it was implemented, is that these guys are going max effort all the time. That's why you see Spencer Strider throwing 100 miles an hour in the fifth inning. They're going max effort. If if we take away some of that recovery time for their arm to get back to, to full strength so they can throw another pitch, could that cause some injuries? And I think you could definitely look at this wave of injuries and say that that's a contributing factor. Um I want to take the optimistic approach and say that if it is, this might just be like a blip, like a one-time thing. Like we might see pitchers adjust to this and rather than throwing max effort for every pitch, dial it back a little bit. And maybe they're throwing 90% or 85% or something so that they can get the recovery time their arm needs. And I think as a result from that, we could see fewer strikeouts maybe, (laughs) maybe more balls in play. Maybe an unintended consequence of the pitch clock is you know, solving some of baseball's strikeout problem right now. 
pure speculation just just my two cents and bit of optimism from all these injuries I, I think i think if we do see these just consistently continue there's going to be a an important conversation that we need to have about whether the pitch clock is as good for baseball as it seems if it's also potentially leading to injuries like this but still I, very early it is still very early and i don't see the reason to point any fingers at it at all um i think it's pure speculation like you said um sometimes when there's because there's a shiny new toy like oh it must be the new shiny new toy that's the reason but that's not necessarily backed up by anything yet so um so i'm skeptical um what we do see in a longer term sense is a clear pattern of you know, pitchers getting injured more and more um and we also see a clear pattern of higher and higher velocity. So I would look there first. I would say, okay, we're basically forcing, I don't want to say forcing is not the right word, but there is kind of pressure on young pitchers to throw triple digits, you know, when they're 19 or whatever. You know, and you look at the guys coming up, you know, the Millers, um, who were throwing 100, and you wonder if that's sustainable because they haven't really had a lot of uh, – you know, uh, innings base to, to, to back it up. And so guys like that, I can see getting injured. And some guys just have more repeatable deliverable deliveries, like Garrett Cole, for example, or Verlander, and know how to do it smartly. But a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys have a lot of, you know, uh, violence in their mechanics. And so, you know, it taxes the body. So I would look at velocity in a longer term sense and the correlation between the pressure to throw hard and the more pitchers getting injured as a result of, you know, that I would look at that first rather than place the blame on the pitch clock. Well, I think they potentially go hand in hand, right? Where because there's this existing pressure, if you want to call it that, or just incentive, I guess, because, you know, the harder you throw, the harder it is for the batter to hit. So if there if there is that current mentality and culture in baseball that like just throw harder, throw harder, throw harder, and guys keep doing that, and then you give their body less time to recover, I, I think... It, it, they could go hand in hand, but but I think I agree that the velo side of it is the root cause more so. Mm -hmm. and, and if you were to fix the pitch clock side of it without fixing the you know the the actual underlying velo issue, if you want to call it that, it would just be kind of slapping a bandaid on it rather than mm -hmm. actually solving anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I uh, wanted to give a quick update on Logan O'Hoppy, who we mentioned on the last episode of how well he was playing and that he was kind of banged up. Uh, yeah, he's out for the season. Uh, it's going to be four to six months with a torn labrum, which is very, very unfortunate. He was having a breakout year, and, it, and you know, Brandon Marsh has been excellent for the Phillies as well, so it was looking like a really yeah. fun really fun turnout so far from that trade. Um, but he goes down, and in his wake, the Angels turn to Matt Dice and Chad Wallach. So if you're, if you're wondering why they can't win with <laughs> Otani and Trout, lack of depth yeah. is one of those reasons. You know, but you got to give him credit for at least trading for Ohapi, thinking, okay, right, he's right. our catcher of the future. And, and you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call this one just bad luck. You know, I don't think they foresee that. That's not a typical injury for a catcher, so it's unfortunate. But yeah, know, I think he got it on a, I think he got it on a swing. Like it wasn't yeah. even, it wasn't right. I think it was his non-throwing arm too. Right. Yeah, it looked weird, and I saw a video of that swing. Yeah, it did not look good. So yeah, just a just a freak accident, but unfortunate um and then this last injury will actually tie into our final topic of the episode uh Eloy Jimenez is out four to six weeks after an emergency appendectomy um I hope he's okay uh, apparently he was just yeah. his stomach started it's it, I mean it's the way 
it's the way appendectomies work where you're just out of nowhere your stomach starts hurting you go to the hospital and they say all right we got to take this out um so apparently that happened this past week and this is this will transition like i said into our final topic of uh, what is going on with the central divisions and the bottom dwellers in each of them? Um, actually, the, I think the White Sox are slightly above the Royals. Good for them. But uh, yeah, the White Sox have not had a, a good go of it so far this season. Um, I think we discussed them a little bit this offseason as a team who was like on the bubble, you know, about to be in that. We got to decide if we're a buyer or a seller stage. And uh, they're they're seemingly <laughs> moving toward making that decision a lot easier with their performance so far this year. They honestly haven't, you know, I, I say this with seven players on their injured list right now, but they haven't been as banged up as they have been in recent years, at least to this point. You know, in, in the past, you've been able to like kind of point at that as why they've underperformed because they've had a lot of stars go on the injured list. And right now Jimenez is out and Moncada is out. But outside of them, it's either guys who they knew were going to be out, like Crochet or, or Hendricks, unfortunately, or just like role players, Dromi Gonzalez, Jake Berger. Um, so it's not quite as much on that front. It's more so that the guys that are healthy just aren't playing well, which is a bit surprising. You know, Luis Robert is lost, it looks like. Yasmani Grandal got old really quick. Um, Andrew Benintendi is kind of as mediocre as i expected him to be i've always been the low guy on benintendi um but yeah they're just kind of a mess <laughs> um granted you know i say that and now i'm pulling up player pages and grandal has a 121 wrc plus which he definitely did not have a couple weeks ago so maybe he got hot uh but still in general this is a weak team that's playing hanser alberto at third base and Sebi zavala is playing every day and they're in a rough spot so we're where do things go next with the White Sox? Um, where they go next is I think they become sellers at the deadline. The problem is they don't have a whole lot to sell. Um, Lucas Giolito would be the obvious trade candidate because we just talked about the, the supply and demand dynamics for uh, contenders need rotation help. And he's on the final year of control, so he would be a rental, um, which means you're not going to get all that much. Um, you know, and that's the point of our site, obviously, is to show you how much you would get if you were to trade Giolito. I mean, he's a, you know, he's also not quite as good as he has been in the past. So we have him at, um, I'm looking at our numbers here, 18.7. So, okay, you could get a decent prospect for that or maybe two sort of, you know, 45-ish prospects. So it's not bad if you traded him now. At the trade deadline, it's probably going to get a little bit lower. So, but that's basically your chip. Um, Tim Anderson, a lot of people are thinking, okay, let's trade Tim Anderson to, I don't know, the Dodgers. Yeah, he's on a market-friendly contract, and he's had some ups and downs. He's had some health issues, but he's still, when he's healthy, he can be an electric player. So there's something there. I don't think they're trading Luis Robert. I don't think they're trading Andrew Vaughn. Um, Andrew Vaughn has defensive challenges, but he can hit a little bit. Um, I'm sure they'd be happy to trade Grandal, but as you pointed out, he's 34 years old and kind of a, kind of on the downside of his career, and he's just sort of barely getting by. After that, it's role players. Um, you know, may, you know, I don't think they're going to trade Dylan Cease. Lance Lynn is off to a bad start. 
then you're looking at the bullpen. Maybe they break that up, and really you're just talking about maybe Kendall Graveman, maybe Hendricks if he comes back healthy. So there's not a lot there. And it's a little bit like when they traded Chris Sale. And you thought, I, I thought when they said, you know, years ago, when they traded Chris Sale from Moncada, you know, and I wrote a piece about that, that, you know, okay, great. We're going for it. We're being bold. We're breaking up the team. We're rebuilding. And then the rebuild didn't work. And so now they got to do that again. But there's not as much to work with. You don't have a Chris Sale to trade this time. So it's not a good thing. And by the way, their farm is still bad. It's one of the weakest farms in baseball. So all the more reason to be a deadline seller, to kind of get whatever you can to beef up the young crew. But there's just not a whole lot to sell. From a surplus value standpoint, it's not looking too good. Yeah, I think you're right. In this market, you know, even coming off a rough 2020 and not being amazing this year, uh, they get a they get a decent bit for Giolito. In this market, mm -hmm. I think they get a little something for Lynn and a little something for Clevenger just because they are arms with a pulse and teams need those right now. As we've been discussing this episode, nobody is healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so at least from that perspective, but you're right on offense, there just isn't much that they can move or that other teams would really have too much interest in. You know, I look at Yon Moncada and he had a solid start to the year it's 40 plate appearances before he got injured but now he's injured i believe it's uh is that a shoulder my page is loading lower back 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 backs are always bad yeah um i, I know shoulders are bad and backs are bad and elbows are bad and knees are bad <laughs> everything's bad um but he was abysmal last year and he's yeah. on a pretty significant guaranteed contract so I don't think teams would be lining up to trade for him. And even if they were, I think it's a case where like the White Sox would rather hang on to him and bet on the upside because it's going to be better than whatever they'd get for him. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't trust that ownership to reinvest the dollars they save from a guy like him. So yeah, they're just in this, like, honestly, so, so the, the players are different and they're in different like spots of the competitive window but they give me a similar vibe to the Tigers of just yeah. like, we're just stuck. Like it's yeah. going to be multiple years before we are any good again, unless like some, some miracle happens. That's what they feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to say White Sox fans, but and I think White Sox fans know it. Like, oh, this, this didn't work out. Like we thought we had a team, uh, we got close there in the 2020 playoffs and no. <laughs> and the arrows has been pointing down ever since. So, yeah, and it's it's tough because yeah. I, I think there are some problems with ownership. There's some problems with the front office and other management. You know, they probably didn't need Tony Larusa in hindsight. That, no, that probably wasn't the best move. But and I think I think the key problem you can you can come up with is they probably should have uh, should have complemented that core more in those 2020 2021 years when those mm -hmm. guys were kind of clicking more. But beyond that, when you look at like this year and last year, it's it's a lot of just like guys didn't play as well as they should have and they didn't stay healthy. And maybe there is an organizational cause to that from like the training and conditioning side or from the player development side. And I think you can definitely point to questions on the farm system as well and how they're how they're developing down there. But a lot of this is just guys not playing as well as they should. And at the end of the day, you can't really who do you blame that on right you just blame it on the players themselves for not performing um which is it's it's tougher i don't know it 
I don't think it's, I don't, I'm not going to say it's tougher to fix. It's tougher to fix on the fly. You know, if, if your problem is, Hey, Yohan Moncada was supposed to be a big part of our team and he had a 79 WRC plus last year or whatever it was. There's not a quick fix for that. It's not, okay, we're going to cut him and use this other guy instead because he was a long, a big part of your long-term plans and, and you have a lot of resources invested in him. So yeah. it's, it's a tougher scenario than looking at the Tigers and saying like, we made bad decisions on signing Javier Baez and we didn't develop some of our prospects properly and we didn't select the right pitchers. All of our pitchers got hurt or were bad. Like those are clear issues that may, might not be easy to fix, but at least they're easy to identify. And I don't know if I see that quite as clearly with the White Sox. The other thing that has come up in, in the, you know, especially in the offseason is they lost Jose Abreu, who was their clubhouse leader. Now we just talked about Jose Abreu having a abysmal start. So on paper, you know, they, they didn't lose anything, but in the clubhouse, they kind of lost their leader. Um, and I don't know who the leader is now. Is it Tim Anderson? I mean, he's been injured a lot. Is is he that type of guy? I'm not sure he is. You know, and you got some young guys who, I don't know, Yasmani Grandal, I don't think he's that guy either. So, like, who's their clubhouse leader? I don't know. And is that an issue? I don't know. Maybe. Um, like, there's just a, you get the sense that there's a chemistry problem. And maybe that, you know, if guys are not performing to their potential, you look at the manager you look at the guys themselves, but you also look at, is there a leader on the team? I'm not sure I'm seeing one. Manager definitely didn't help them for a while there. Tony Russo yeah. was playing a lot of Larry Garcia last year. Uh, yeah. That was, that was fun to watch. Yeah. And the front um, office knows that they could have constructed this team with a little bit more thoughtfulness. It's tough, but yeah, they, they made some bad moves. Let's be clear. Right. And I want to make sure we have time here to talk about the other seller dweller in the uh in the national mm -hmm. league central and that's the st louis cardinals who i did not expect us to be talking about in this way but they're 10 and 24 john they're 10 the games cardinals. back of the first place pirates <laughs> this is fascinating yeah. and i don't know exactly what to think about it i don't know like i think you know, it's the Cardinals. They've done, they haven't done quite this before, but they've done that thing before where they're like, they look like they're out of it and then they win 12 games in a row and suddenly they're right back in it. And so <laughs> I'm never going to, exactly. <laughs> I'm never going to count them out of that, but this does seem kind of different. There's dysfunction here, which isn't something we're used to talking about with the Cardinals. I feel like where they're, they're typically viewed as like a well-run organization and, that's how they get the most out of these players, these like role players that were not prospects and they come up and suddenly they're superstars. Like it's because they're they're typically viewed as a well-oiled machine. Um, given this week's Wilson Contreras news, I don't know about that. Mm. Uh, so, so the news was that they're shifting Wilson Contreras off catcher, at least for the time being. Uh, they called up a third catcher and they're going to play Contreras at, at DH and corner outfield and then use Andrew Nisner, Kisner, um, behind the plate and basically what they're saying is that he's just more familiar with the staff um, that's concerning they just they just signed Wilson Contreras and they had some positive quotes about him at the time about like yeah this is a guy we trust with our staff who's going to learn him quick um, it, it also feels like he's just being the scapegoat you know I haven't watched much Cardinals baseball I couldn't tell you for any fact if 
Contreras was having issues behind the plate, and that was directly leading to poor performance. But I think I'd be more concerned about Steven Matz's 639 ERA and Miles Michaelis's 579 ERA and Jack Flaherty's 629 ERA. I think that's what we should be pointing to and not the totally. catcher that you just committed $80 million to or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it raises, it wow. raises the question of how much is the catcher to blame for those high ERAs, right? Is it like, is he not calling the game smartly? Does he not know the opposition as well as he should? You know, it's that whole inside thing. Like, okay, we're going to pitch this guy high and inside. Cause that's his, you know, it's his weak spot. Like, Wilson Contreras doesn't strike me as a kind of guy who kind of is a student of the game like that, like some catchers are, like a Sean Murphy is. So, you know, you know, maybe he's got a decent enough arm and pop time, and I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the latest on that. But, you know, the mechanical side may be okay, but maybe there's that aspect that he's not working with pitchers well, and he's not. maybe he's not working with the analytics department well. Um, and, by the way, um, I think the Cardinals know they're a little behind the curve on the analytics side, so that could be a factor as well in general. But yeah, I mean, it's more of a pitching problem than a hitting problem. My other question is, if Matthew Liberatore is still a top prospect, why hasn't he been called up? Like, if these guys are pitching badly, and he's your top starter and prospect, why is he still in AAA? I don't understand that. He doesn't have the veteran presence, John. <laughs> he's he's missing that and jack flaherty in his 629 era they got it no yeah. um not not to, to joke at flaherty's expense because i think his career has just been entirely derailed by some injuries and, and i mm. don't think he's any good anymore unfortunately um and and the Contreras side of it like everybody has had defensive questions about him right <laughs> that's that's part of why the cubs didn't lock him up long term and that's part of why the interest in him at the deadline last year was kind of tepid. We even heard reports that the Mets liked him, but didn't love him because they didn't want him to be a full-time catcher. But then the Cardinals voluntarily went out and paid him and said, this guy's our full-time catcher. And then a month into the season, they've already changed their mind. Like it, it just feels like scapegoating to me. And I mean, you look at, you look at the offense and it's fine. Brendan Donovan's, taking a step back but maybe you expected that nolan arnado isn't hitting but i'm not too concerned about that yet um, lars newt bar holy mackerel lars has a 442 <laughs> obp like goldie's hitting he's not an mvp level like he was last year but i don't think anybody expected that to repeat nolan gorman's been awesome Contreras is hitting fine carlson's been kind of bad but we don't have to worry about that edmund's been okay like the offense is fine. The offense is not the problem here. It's just that nobody in the rotation outside of Jordan Montgomery can get a pitch past a batter. And that's kind of what we were talking about with them this off season is they don't have a whole lot of talent in that rotation. They got a lot of old guys who are all kind of like fourth, fifth guys. And yeah. it, when you're a fourth, fifth guy, it only takes a little bit of an adjustment for you to be like below replacement level. It only takes like a bit of regression for you to get there. Right. So that's kind of where they are. I mean, they've had a, they haven't even really had injuries, you know, Tyler O'Neill's out. That's it. A couple, well, a couple like depth arms, you know, Packy Nutton and Jake Woodford. These aren't, these aren't guys who are causing this catastrophe, right? Well, Wainwright was out. He just came Right. Yeah. But the, your season should not hinge on 47 year old Adam Wainwright to, <laughs> to anchor your rotation. No, and but that, that's, that's kind of what they're doing. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what it was. And that's, that's where these issues come from. Um, so I guess yeah. I, I know we're kind of over on time here. I'll wrap this up with 
what's your what's your assessment of these two teams you know which team do you think is more likely to be a seller at the deadline do you think either of these teams have a real chance of pushing back and and making the playoffs if if not winning their division i think the cardinals have a much better chance than the white Sox. i think the white Sox are just you know listless and you know i i think they're going to be sellers it's too early to say it was the Cardinals, um, but what I do see is like a log jam in the outfield, the Cardinals, and I could see them trading an outfielder for a pitcher. So a Dylan Carlson, maybe a Gorman, maybe a Neat Bar, maybe a Donovan, I don't know, one of those guys um, for a pitcher um, that may be a little bit younger and healthier, but then again, we talked about where are those guys, we don't know. Um, you know, So I, I can kind of see them, given their history and their tendencies, saying, okay, we're not going to give up. We're just going to retool. I'm going to use that word again and um, and see if we can kind of get some life into things. Um, so, yeah, I haven't counted them out yet. And also, they've got some talent coming up. Um, you remember last year, they were a contender for Juan Soto because they've got a lot of young talent. So there's that, too. You know, they, they had to demote Jordan Walker because his defense was not good. He wasn't used to playing the outfield, but his bat still plays. So they've got you know, him waiting in the wings um, and some, you know, Mason Wynn and some other interesting prospects. So they've got kind of the pipeline still alive, which is a sign of a healthy organization. Um, I think they just need to shore up that rotation. That's the main thing. The bullpen is a little shaky too, but the rotation is the main problem. So an outfield trade for a pitcher trade, something like that to retool and see if they can kind of get some life into things would be the move. If they do end up selling, like like if they're if they're doing this retool, I think maybe they try and offload Steven Matz, see if somebody'll take some chunk of his contract. I think they have to pay it down, but some mm-hmm. chunk of his contract and get some nominal prospect or bench piece or whatever in return. Remember um, Steve I, Cohen, I he wanted Steven Matz, so maybe yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think you're right about the outfield for sure. Um, but if they are just fully out of it, I think Jordan Montgomery is a really interesting deadline piece because I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he's a free agent after the year and he's been really good for them and he was already pretty solid with the Yankees before getting he, sent to St. Louis. He doesn't get and, a lot know, of love, but man, that guy's yeah. been super consistent. Yeah, he's not an ace and he maybe doesn't have the upside of a Lucas Giolito, but I think he's safer. And I think mm-hmm. there's going to be teams like the Mariners that might not need that frontline guy they just want some reliability, some comfortability in the middle or back of the rotation, and Montgomery is like that guy to a T. Yeah, and in, in, in uh, your question there, yes, he is in his, his final year of control, so he could be a rental. Yeah, if they do decide. Yeah, so we will need to keep an eye on these two teams, um, and, and apparently the Yankees, but <laughs> <laughs> at least the Yankees are over 500. These guys are not. Okay, um, I guess I guess the last element to this is the Brewers really have not capitalized on this as much as they could have they're 18 and 15 they i I think uh i think we're very much still in the cardinals roar back with a 10 game win streak and look a whole lot different territory because the brewers haven't really run away with this like they could have yeah and everyone expects the pirates to turn into a pumpkin at midnight i probably as well but we'll see what if they don't (laughs) or even if they don't pumpkin what if they're like a 500 team that just causes problems for these other teams yes that's a possibility too yeah right okay i think that'll do it we've already gone a little bit over do you have anything else you want to add today no i think we've covered a lot cool all right that'll do it for this week thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on twitter at baseball values also be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode 
We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.